Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome everyone to the Storybox. This is the place to be if you're a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, growing abundantly, and if you want to improve your overall life. My name is Jay Fansom, and I've made it my purpose to unbox and share the amazing stories from people of every profession all over the world. I'm grateful that you're here today. Let's journey into this story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Hey everyone, welcome back to a very, and I mean very exciting episode today of the Storybox. Now, if you saw by the title of who my guest is today, then you would already know where he's from, the kind of movies that is. But for those of you that don't know who he is, Justin Baldoni is an award-winning filmmaker, entrepreneur, and philanthropist who focuses on revolutionizing the ways in which we perceive media through his newly established Wayfarer Studios. Justin's passion for impactful storytelling led him to a directorial debut of the film Five Feet Apart, which I encourage you guys to go and watch. It is an emotional, heart-wrenching film that just makes you appreciate what you have in your life. Um, but the film raised awareness and highlighted the reality of those afflicted by cystic fibrosis, a life-threatening disorder that impacts 70,000 people around the world. Late last year, Justin co-founded Wayfarer Studios, a studio uh, committed to create purpose-driven multi-platform content for TV and film that elevate and speak to the human spirit. Featuring a robust genre-defying defying slate of projects spanning film, scripted television, documentaries, digital platforms, and so much more. What's even better is that Justin has a new book coming out, uh, which is no I have no doubt is going to revolutionize this topic of what it means to be a man, toxic masculinity, that sort of thing. Um, but the book's titled Man Enough. He's undefining his own masculinity. You can go and get a copy of his book. Now I have my copy here. And trust me when I say this, it is one heck of a read. Uh, if you've ever had questions about what it really means to be a man, how manhood uh, should be perceived in life, this is the, definitely the book for you. I am actually fascinated by this topic uh, because it seems to be, you know, we're taught a certain way of what it actually means to be a man growing up. And, you know, it, it, there's so many questions I did have for Justin around this particular topic, but, you know, I was grateful for the time that I did have with him 
uh, to ask him particular questions. Now, the beginning of this episode, we actually talk about his uh, faith, his part of the Baha'i faith, very passionate about that, which I really did appreciate. And then we dive into all things, his book, manhood, success, you name it. So it was a fascinating, and I mean a fascinating uh, conversation uh, for each and every one of you. So get excited, get pumped, and if you do get something from this, share it around to your friends and your family. Let everyone know about this episode. If you are a fan of Jane the Virgin, Justin played Raphael in that, um, and he's just played many more amazing characters. He's a true storyteller, a true inspiration as well, and I have no doubt a hero for a lot of people, although he won't uh, admit to that because <laughs> he's so humble and and very, very genuine. He was uh, ever so present during this conversation, and that's one of the, the major highlights for me. I actually took a photo, uh, which you can see on my Instagram when I got the book, and he shared it, which was crazy to see that people got to see my ugly mug on, on his major, major platform. But anyway, everyone, uh, if you do want to see the full video, you can do that now. Links are all available in the show notes below. Um, please don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review before you go. But I hope you guys enjoy this one. I loved it. So let's dive into the story box and listen to Justin Baldoni undefine his own masculinity and share his incredible story. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Nice it's to a, see you. Nice talk to, to you too, man. Like, honestly, I have been looking forward to this conversation for quite some time. I know you probably hear that from every single other person that you speak to. But no, I feel that though, my man. I feel that from you. Thank you so much. That's the God honest truth. And sorry, my voice is, I'm a little hoarse today. I'm, um, we're in the Baha'i fast. So for 19 days between sunrise and sunset, we abstain from food and drink. So I actually haven't had water. I've been on, I've been doing interviews and podcasting all day. So my voice is a little hoarse at the moment. So uh, <clears throat> forgive me. No, how do you, how in the world do you do that? Like, how do you manage no. that? <laughs> I had, the way you manage anything, you know, in our faith specifically, it's, you know, this is a time of reflection and prayer and, um, and, and, and kind of uh, cutting ourselves off from the physical world uh, to make room for the for the spiritual. So it's 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 the time of restraint, but you gain so much. Yeah, I can yeah. imagine. Like, yeah. Um, okay, that that is a, a curious thing. Like, I do want to get into that in, in, in a moment. <laughs> well, no, I was just I was just I was just telling you why I might sound not, I, I might not <laughs> sound like me, or my voice might go. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's like towards faith the the element of faith in your life and what that actually means to you like mm. i think anyone abstaining from anything is an important factor in, in someone's life but especially when it comes to faith and and the meaning behind that so i would sure. share firstly a little bit about your faith and and how yeah. you came to faith that particular faith in the, in the first well sure well, well sure so i'm a baha'i uh b-a-h-a-i um and the Baha'i faith is one of the most widespread religions in the world. It's the youngest of the world religions. I think there's between six and seven million Baha'is around the world right now. Um, but uh, essentially, the Baha'is believe that there's one God, that there's one unknowable essence, not a guy in the sky with a beard. It's not a man, not a woman. It is, a, it is an essence, a being 
that we can never fathom or understand because we're finite beings and God is infinite. And a finite being can never contemplate or comprehend something that is infinite, something that is exalted beyond time and space. How could we ever imagine or think that we could understand something that created the universe? We don't even understand the universe. We're just barely understanding black holes. We took a picture of one recently for the first time. You know, we don't even know how it works. We don't know how, like, what is this world, this universe that we're living in? How far does it actually extend? We have no idea, which is barely able to comprehend it. So how could we ever comprehend the thing that could create it? Mm. And the basic idea of the Baha'i faith is that we believe that we are one human family. And from the beginning of time, God has helped mankind, humankind, the world uh, in its evolution to unity and through different teachers and prophets, which we call progressive revelation. The idea that we're all just different chapters in one book. Um, we have gotten to the place we are now, which in the Baha'i faith we're told is the age of maturity, the age in which we need to get our shit together. Mm-hmm. And recognize that we are, as Baha'u'llah says, we are the fruits of one tree and the leaves of one branch. We are all drops in one ocean. We are all brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. We are family. And the things that we use to otherize ourselves have to disappear. Racism, sexism, all of the isms have to, have to go away. Um, and the worst thing that we could ever do as Baha'is is to talk negatively about another human being to to backbite to fault find to find somebody's faults as if we don't have our own and um and we're we're uh defenders of victims of oppression of all kinds if we disagree with somebody or meet somebody different from ourselves are we're asked to love that person regardless to show kindness no prejudice no discrimination it's the opposite of that um and uh, to, in many ways, for those people to put our to put our lives before theirs, um, and at the end of the day, we're told to do all of these things because one day we're going to die of this world and be born into a new place where we will not have our bodies, and the only thing that we can take with us are the virtues that we developed while we were here, similar to the arms and legs of the womb when we were in our mother's wombs, developing our our arms and our legs and our sense of smell and touch and eyesight and hearing, we needed them. We didn't, we had no use for them in that world in the womb, but we needed them the second we were born into this one. Mm. And we're told that this world, our mission is through everything that I just said to develop our kindness, our compassion, our empathy, our love, our forbearance, our steadfastness, our, all of these things. Those are the arms and legs and eyes and ears of where we're going next. Mm. Heaven, if you will, the next world, no one really knows. All that we're all that we're told is that it is coexisting with us right now. We just can't see it. Mm. And uh, and the purpose is love and unity. That's it. To be of service with the time that we're given and the time that we have. I feel like that's a beautiful thing, man. And for you and and how what's the story behind you actually coming to the Baha'i faith? So my mom was born Jewish. Uh. Grew up wondering why all her friends celebrated Christmas and asked who Christ was, to which her mother told her Christ was just a nice man. And she said, eh, something's off. Uh. Something's off. Spidey sense. And <laughs> she told me that she uh, that she didn't understand why if he was just a nice man, so many people revered him and worshipped him. Mm-hmm. 
And so she grew up, became a Christian, started investigating all these different faiths. And eventually, when she was in her early 20s, she found the Baha'i faith, which basically explained to her why we have all these different religions and why people never accept the, the following messenger, right? It's why, it's why the Jews didn't accept Christ, right? It's why many Christians didn't accept Muhammad. It's why is, many Muslims didn't accept Baha'u'llah and the Baha'i faith. And that all of them are teaching the same thing. They're not God. They're representations of God. They're, they're channels through God. They're teachers and prophets. Um, and, uh, and so my dad became a Baha'i when he met my mom. He was Catholic. And I was raised in the Baha'i faith, celebrating Hanukkah and Christmas. <laughs> and then at 15, I became a Baha'i. And really in my 20s, in my mid-20s, and I write about the moment in my book, I, uh, I really, truly dedicated myself to God into faith. And what that means is I just asked to be an open channel to be used in whatever way could be of service to the world. Mm. And that's what it looked like for me. That's what being a Baha'i looks like for me is being an open channel to find how I can be helpful and not be destructive, mm. you know, be one of the good white cells, the, the, the mitochondria that does, you know, that makes a difference and that helps clean things up and not one of the cancerous cells, you know? Mm. Okay, so I normally ask people at the very beginning, what does success look like to them? Mm. So success to me looks like contentment. I think, and I write about this in my book, I think, um, I think we, and it's different for men and women, but, uh, but in general, as a whole, success in our world and our, our country is, uh, is rewarded and congratulated when one acquires material things, when one has reached a certain material level of success, whether it be enough money, enough, um, enough clout, enough celebrity, whatever it is, enough influence, right? And what I, what I would argue is that true success is not what you acquire, but what you give. And, and I think one of the only ways to truly be content is to be, as, in, as the Baha'is say, as Abdul Baha, who's the son of the prophet, uh, founder of Baha'u'llah says, to be like a candle burning yourself away. So I think that contentment and giving are tied together. And at the end of the day, you know, when I value, when I look at success and what I hope to be, I hope to be content. I hope that I feel, I hope that I feel happy. Um, and, you know, if I, if I want to think about something specific, success to me would be at the end of my life, looking at my kids and them being there with me, feeling, holding my hand and letting me know that I was there for them when they needed me, that I didn't choose my work over them their whole life that I didn't, I didn't make them feel second or not as important as, as my duty to maybe even serve mankind or to write books or to do all the things that I'm doing that they felt valued and important. That would be success for me. Not, you know, cause at the end of the day, we're all going to die. We're all going to be buried in the ground. So the, the, the room or the place that I die in doesn't matter. It's a matter if it's a mansion or if it's a one bedroom apartment. What matters is who's there with me. What mm. matters is, is how I make people feel along the way. 
So that, that feeling will make me feel content that I have, that I am content with everything that I have done in my life. And that to me will mean that I was successful. Who has made the greatest impact on your life, whether mentally, emotionally, spiritually, or physically? Uh, does it matter? I mean, alive or dead? Is it, is it a person I knew or is it? Yeah. Um, the first person that comes to mind is Abdul Baha who, um, who the Baha'is look to as the example we call him. Abdul Baha means servant of God, servant Mm -hmm. of Baha. And he was the son of Baha'u'llah, not a, not a prophet, not a manifestation of God, a, a, a person but was imprisoned with Baha'u'llah who founded the Baha'i faith for his whole life and, and was the right hand of him. And Abdul Baha, I only know him through writings and texts and what other people have written about him. He, he was actually, he, he's actually the person who influenced Khalil Gibran's the prophet. Mm. Um, so when he writes about the prophet, he's writing about Abdul Baha, mm. which is not very few people know that. Um, and, uh, and Abdul Baha, was able to take these complex ideas, these spiritual teachings and simplify them and live them as an example. Mm. Um, and the way he, he moved through the world, the way he treated people, um, how he was able to not criticize even when he was with somebody he disagreed with and in fact, build them up and make them feel loved and seen. You know, he, uh, and when he came to America in, I think, 1912, he, uh, was courted by all, he was courted by all the, you know, the politicians and the, the famous people. And they all wanted him to be at their homes and entertain. And, you know, cause he was, cause again, it's like the prophet. It's like, he was, he was like this, they called him the prophet coming over from overseas. And he instead would take all, you know, these photographers, all these people would be around him. He would go down to the Bowery, which was the Skid Row, the homeless shelter of New York at the time, and he would hand out coins. And he, you know, he would do things like, uh, you know, segregation. Imagine 1912, you know, black folks were servants. They weren't allowed in the same places as white folks. And early on, he, uh, one of the first African-American Baha'is, black now, um, as we say, um, but back then you would call African-American, uh, you know, one of the first black Baha'is, he, he was, um, he invited to sit at his right hand at the governor's ball. Mm. Um, and he did it and he never, ever spoke about it. He didn't say anything about it. He didn't say why he was doing it or what he just, he just with his actions showed that, that there's no place for racism, mm. that we are all the same. We are all brothers and sisters. Right. Um, and that's, and I think that's the thing that I look at, you know, that's what, that's what, I think about when I think about what it means to be an example or what it means to be of service. It's like, how do you take these spiritual teachings and live them? You know, I want to, I want to live them. And he, he was that to me and to many most Baha'is around the world. Do you write about this man in your book? I don't write about Abdul Baha in my book per se. I don't write about any specific prophet or, or teacher in my book. My book is really a reflection of masculinity. From a personal perspective, from a personal perspective of how screwed up I am and how in many ways the invisible forces of masculinity have contributed to that screw up and how I'm trying to get better. 
Um, but I don't write about Abu Baha in the book. I do write a bit about my faith, not as a way to teach people or convert people. I'm not interested in that, but as a way to educate people because I get asked every day, what is a Baha'i? Um, and, uh, yeah. Mm. So why did you decide to write the book right now? Well, there's a couple of things. One is, you know, after I, after my Ted talk or actually before my Ted talk, I, I, I was offered a book deal to write about this and I didn't feel ready. I, I didn't even want to do my Ted talk. I tried to back out multiple times. It was terrifying. Um, <laughs> and then I tried to back out of the book multiple times because you know, the, the irony is I, I wrote a book called man enough yet don't feel man enough to have written it. Mm. And that's, that's the, that's the thing that I think we all face yet. We don't always talk about, um, I'm sure you have your insecurities, your doubts before you jump on and interview somebody or a celebrity, you know, you go through a little bit of like, Oh my God, am I going to screw this up? Am I enough? Is this okay? Am I going to do this right? Are they going to like me? Am I going to, you know? Um, and then I'm sure when your mic turns off, you're like, Oh my God, what did I do? You know, and you have <laughs> all of us. And that doesn't, that doesn't change regardless of how successful you become. That's always there. And, you know, I, uh, I had a deadline for the book and I was making my last movie clouds. Um, and I was starting to, you know, to work on it and think about it. And then when the pandemic hit, um, I wasn't able to get an extension and it was like, Hey, you're either going to write it or you're not. And I was finishing my movie. I was here with my family in quarantine and I was looking at the world and I was looking at myself and I was thinking about all the things that I was feeling. And I'm like, you know what? I have to write it. I have to write it for myself because mm -hmm. I needed this book. I need this book. You know, I needed this book at 16 and 20 and 25 and 30 and 35. I needed this book because there wasn't a book like this for me where I could see another man openly admit the things he was struggling with in a way that helped me feel seen. That could have been so helpful to me on my journey, make me feel less alone. Um, and so I buckled down and spent the majority of the pandemic writing and and suffering and going through all the things you could, one goes through when they're you know bearing their soul and trying to figure it out and all of it so um so yeah so i'm uh i it i just finished it it comes out april 27th and um and i'm really proud of it because it's it is me now it's incomplete because i'm on a journey and i'm I have not arrived. I'm not a teacher. I'm not anybody's teacher. I'm not a guru. I don't have the answers. It's a book that questions, that mm -hmm. asks the question, that asks men to question. And it's an invitation for men um, to take a look at their masculinity, their humanity, and uh, to see if together we can figure out how we can become not just better men, but better humans. Mm. What was the most challenging part of you actually writing? this book in the first place and what do you hope people actually get from reading it? I think the most challenging part was going up against the same invisible force that is masculinity that was telling me that I wasn't enough to write it. Mm. Where that was, that come from? well, comes from thousands of years of socialization of the way that we view success, the way that we view what it means to be enough, the way that we view what it means to be a man, the way that we, um, you know, and then, the, and the, and the culture we currently have set up, which is really built around relevance, whether or not 
you are worthy of somebody else's time or somebody else's click or like or comment mm-hmm. or or whatever that is and and also knowing that men are not necessarily all ready for something like this nor are all women there's no all of anything but that men have been reluctant to dive into their masculinity for many many years despite the begging and the pleading of women and that's because the system of masculinity is set up in such a way that makes us not have to question it because we benefit from it um even those of us with the least amount of privilege but especially those of us like me with the most amount of privilege um we benefit from the system but at the same time what i'm trying to show is that masculinity is not toxic i never say toxic masculinity in the book i don't believe that we need to attack men i don't believe that men are bad i love being a man i love it i love i'm so happy that i'm a man um but at the same time being a man and the socialization that have come that has come um and uh, as a man and what we have learned from our parents from our fathers those of us that have them and our grandfathers and what they've learned from theirs is something that has been passed down and handed to us that we did not ask for mm. and has been built and ingrained in our culture and society um all over the world that looks different but very much the same and that thing that has been passed down to us that creates this invisible force um that uh that I think at the end of the day hurts us more than helps us is the thing that we need to question because I believe it's the very thing that is contributing to many of the ailments of the world specifically our own individual unhappiness and discontentment yeah and that's what it's about i want to create a world where men are willing to question their privilege and their masculinity and hear feedback from women not just for women but for themselves mm. because we can be happy we deserve to be able to to reach out and ask for help when we need it and not feel shamed or embarrassed we should be okay going to therapy and and not feeling emasculated we should be okay having a woman tell us that what we did hurt them and not having to defend ourselves or cut them off in the process or gaslight them and use it against them these are all things that as men we should feel okay with but our egos are too damn fragile and we've been told that all of these things equal weakness or equate to weakness and um if we are vulnerable those things can then be used against us when in reality true strength and bravery requires vulnerability true strength and bravery is reaching out and asking for help when you really need it it's not sucking it up and manning up and and you know and just pushing through it's saying hey i'm really struggling with this and until we can make room for that and until we can make room for anyone who identifies as a man to feel and be seen as a man then we're going to be stuck in this cycle where not only are we hurting women and and trans folks and gender nonconforming folks we're hurting ourselves mm. and when we're hurting ourselves we hurt other people hurt people hurt people so that's why i wrote the book that's that's why i'm doing this and also i'm one of those people i'm mm. one of the people that are hurting i'm one of the men that are hurting that brush up against the resistance to ask for help when i need it the most i'm one of the men that 
struggle. I'm one of the men that interrupt women when they, when he gets feedback, I am that man. That's why I wrote it. I sit at the intersection. I just happen to be aware of it and I'm trying to be better. I love your message, man. And I'm one of those people as well. I'm one of those, those men that are hurting, have a hurt past. And I just appreciate people like yourself that actually have this kind of message and, and they have the audience and the platform to actually share it with the world. It's, it's needful more than ever in today's society. So thank you so much for, for everything that you do, man. Like it, it's honestly Thanks, incredible. Buddy. And I mean that from, from the, like the top of my I feel head. it. Like, I feel it, brother. I appreciate that. I take that. It means a lot to yeah. me. You, you need it, man. Like you need all the help like you can get from around the world. doesn't matter who it is. Like this is, an, this is a message that needs to be uh, shared a lot more. So thank you, man. Man, if I was to pick up your book and turn to any page or chapter, which one would you recommend that I turn to first? Mm. Well, what's great about the book is that each chapter um, lives on its own. So it doesn't require you to have read the previous chapter to understand what you're reading. Um, I break it down into the different kind of stereotypes of what of man enough, smart enough, strong enough, sexy enough, you know, all those types of things. Um, sorry, not strong enough, brave enough. Uh, so, you know, at first glance, um, I think that I think that chapter five, which is called privileged enough would be, would be one that I would want people to read probably because they're going to have the most resistance to it because I talk about and I tackle racism and white privilege. Mm. Um, and I had some of the most resistance to writing it because it really required me to admit some really messed up things that I have done and said to my black friends um, and to people that I love. So I think because of the, the times that we're in, because racism is just everywhere and, and we're, you know, white people are finally kind of waking up to the fact that it's, it, we're socialized to be racist, right? Um, I think that would be a great chapter to read. Uh, and I use myself as the example, as the person who's, who doesn't get it and who hasn't gotten it. And I'm just getting it and I'm just beginning my journey. Um, otherwise, uh, otherwise I'd say start at the beginning because it sets it all up. Mm, good. <laughs> well, yeah. like I said, can't wait to get my hands on a copy. This is my final question for you, man. My all time favorite one. So I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. This is a hypothetical question. So you've been oh. able to reach the age of 100 and all your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument, but they've been able to yeah. get it and show it to you on your hundred birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Mm. That's a great question. I, I would want that film to show my evolution and my humanity. And it would, I would not want it, I would not want it to show the best parts of me. I would want it to show the parts of me that are imperfect, that are, that are broken and, and show that you can have light in the darkness. Um, 
I would want it to show the impact I had on people that I love and that I care about. And if I did it right by the time I'm a hundred, um, if I did it, as I talked about earlier, uh, with the true idea of success, which is being surrounded by all these people, um, then more than anything, I would want it to be less about me and more about all of them because uh, the measure of my success is going to be in how much love I gave, not how much I took. So, so I would hope that it would show my brokenness. Like I said, that I'm a work in progress, even at a hundred that I'm still learning. Um, and I hope that it would show my family and friends and kids and grandkids and maybe even great grandkids all together um, in one place and not as a broken family, but as a unified family. Because unity cannot spread to the world unless it is started um, and perfected in the home. Ah, oh, man, I wish I could speak to you forever. <laughs> that oh, was, so sweet. Thank uh, you. You're setting me up, man. But thank you so much for your time, Justin. It's been <laughs> an absolute pleasure. People can go and get your book April 27th, I believe it comes out. Yeah, you can pre-order it. Pre-order it now, manenup.com slash books. Pre-order it. Go and get it. I highly encourage you. If you enjoyed this interview, you're going to enjoy the book 10 times more. So, Justin, thank you so much for your time today and for coming Thanks, on the Freebox podcast. All right, buddy. We'll connect too. I so appreciated talking to you and I, and I received that. Thank you so much for your openness and your sincerity, brother. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guests today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time when we dive back into the Storybox, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. 